You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome to Wise Guys. These guys know sports on this beautiful Monday, May the 1st, in the house with your boy Trey Larkins on the Wise Guys Sports Show. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Happy Monday, everybody. It was a beautiful and great weekend of sports. The NFL draft was over the weekend, so I'm going to have on to talk about the NFL draft, Price Carter. He is a contributor for the Arrowhead Pride and co-host of the Kingdom Keys podcast. He's going to talk about the NFL draft with me here in a bit. And it was some great NBA playoff action over the weekend. So, so many things to get into. Aaron Rodgers is now officially a New York Jet, so I'm going to get into that in a bit. And last week, Giannis had some interesting comments after the Heat beat the Bucks in five games and sent the, the Bucks on summer vacation. So, I'm going to get into those comments in a bit as well. The number to dial, 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655 is the number to dial. The wise guys question of the day, who wins their playoff matchup against each other? Is it going to be LeBron? Is it going to be Steph? Simple answer. Who's going to win their Western Conference semifinals matchup? Will it be Steph or will it be LeBron? Call to the show. Give me your vote on that. 513-203-8655 is the number to dial. But we begin in the NBA, in the Western Conference, with Steph Curry's tremendous performance in Game 7 for the LA, I'm sorry, for the Golden State Warriors. The Warriors beat the Sacramento Kings 120 to 100. The Warriors win the series 4 to 3. Steph Curry was sensational. He had 50 points. He shot 20 of 38 from the floor, 7 of 18 from three-point range, eight rebounds, six assists. And there were players talking about Steph Curry's performance after the game. Take a listen. We are a championship team. This is hard. Like, this is winning at this level. Um, there's a lot of narratives and you know commentary throughout you know game to game and you're trying to block it all out uh and just focus on basketball but at the end of it you know there's fun with it too so who can stop steph curry hopefully we'll never find out steph was he was elite he did what he was supposed to do he put these guys on his back and he said we're not losing tonight and i'm gonna make sure that that happens a guy like that you just you hope that uh uh, he misses some shots. I, I still think we could have withstood his, you know, his barrage. 
if we would have made free throws and boxed out. One of the greatest players ever. Um, I mean, he makes tough shots. He gets in the lane. He's able to finish. Uh, uh, he did everything for them tonight. And, uh, I mean, once he got it going, it was it was, it was was just tough for us to slow him down. Obviously, you want to try to send two at him, just disrupt him as much as possible. But, uh, like I said, when he, when he gets it going, there's pretty much nothing you can do. That was the post-game press conferences from some Kings players like De'Aaron Fox, Kings head coach Mike Brown, Steph Curry himself also spoke. And Clay Thompson and Draymond Green also had a lot to say about their star players' performance in this game seven. So, my reaction to Steph Curry's tremendous game seven performance is simple. It was the greatest game seven performance in NBA history. And I looked at the game, and I'm watching the game, and at halftime, the Kings were beating the Warriors 58 to 56. Klay Thompson, he was struggling for the game. Klay Thompson, he finished with 16 points on 4 of 19 shooting, 2 of 10 from three-point range. The Kings were up two at the half. The, the Kings crowd was going crazy. And it's a game seven. And you got the feeling that the Kings are going to possibly pull away. You think about the Warriors' struggles on the road all season long. In the regular season, the Warriors went 11-30 and 30 on the road, and they won game five on the road in Sacramento. But that was their biggest road game of the season. They had been struggling all season long on the road, and Jordan Poole was struggling. Klay Thompson was struggling. Everyone on the Warriors was struggling, and Steph Curry put together a performance, and he reminded and put De'Aaron Fox specifically on notice let me remind this brother of who the hell I am and its levels to this. Steph Curry was sensational in game seven. His 50 points was the most points all time in an NBA game seven playoff performance. Sam Jones had 47 in 1963. Dominique Wilkins had 47 in 1988. Kevin Durant dropped 48 in the 2021 NBA playoffs, but none of those three performances were on the level of Steph Curry. And this is the thing about the performance yesterday from Steph. Usually, when we watch Steph and he has these high numbers from an offensive standpoint scoring, usually he lights it up from three-point range. In this game, he only shot seven of 18 from three. So he missed... 11 three-point shot attempts. But in this game, Steph showed you and myself, because I'm going to get to me in a bit, because I got I to gotta hold myself accountable, because Steph put me on notice. He put me on notice. So I'm going to get to that in a bit. But it wasn't really the three-point shooting that did it. Steph was getting to the rim, finishing around the rim. He also was hitting the floaters in the lane, the teardrop shots. In the lane, you know, finishing around the rim, the handles and the ball handling was at an all-time high. He also was able to distribute the basketball, six assists. So he created opportunities for others on his team, and he didn't just kill the Kings from the three-point line. He killed the Kings all around in this performance, 
It's one of the greatest playoff performances in NBA history. And I have to be honest, like before he won his NBA Finals MVP last year, I was one of those people that said, oh, Steph is the greatest shooter of all time. But when it comes to being one of the all-time greats or one of the best players in the NBA, I probably would take LeBron over Steph. I would take Steph. I mean, I would take KD over Steph as well because of their physical ability and how, how they are made. They're, 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 the, the ability of being able to have their built, like LeBron is 6'8". Kevin Durant has a seven, two, seven, three wingspan. And, and, and so their stature from a physical standpoint, I've always said, like, I would take that over Steph. So I give credit, Steph credit for being the greatest shooter of all time, but not necessarily the, the best player until his finals performance last year. It shut me up because remember before Kevin Durant arrived in Golden State, the year when the Warriors won in the 2015 NBA Finals against LeBron and the Cavs, it was Andre Iguodala who won Finals MVP. And then obviously in 2016, they lost a commanding 3-1 lead. That was a 73-9 Warriors team. They lost the 3-1 lead to LeBron. And then Kevin Durant shows up to go to state. And the Warriors win two more championships. Kevin Durant was the Finals MVP for those two championships while he was in Golden State. So after Kevin Durant departed Golden State, I was one of the people that said, I need to see Steph in the finals win an NBA Finals MVP. Not, I never said that Steph wasn't an all-time great. I just needed to see him win a Finals MVP. And for me, that was going to solidify his legacy for me. And so he was able to do that last year in the NBA Finals against a Boston Celtics team that was one of the deepest teams in the NBA that had Jalen Brown, that had Jason Tatum, that had Al Horford. Derek White, Robert Williams, Grant Williams, and Steph Curry was by far, by far the best player on the floor in the NBA Finals last year. So he locked it up for me, and he solidified his legacy last year in the NBA Finals for me. But this was the cherry on top. This Game 7 performance was the cherry on top for Steph Curry. Steph Curry had 50 points for the game. He had 30 points in the second half. Steph scored or assisted on 66 of the Warriors' 120 points. Also, in this series, when Steph was off the floor, the Warriors were a minus 43. When Steph Curry was on the floor, the Warriors were a plus 58. So, I believe that when you look at Steph Curry right now and what he's been able to do since Kevin Durant has departed Golden State, I believe that Steph Curry and the way that he's currently playing is more impressive to me, even more so than when he won his NBA MVPs. Because when he won his NBA MVPs, I thought at that time, Klay Thompson was still one of the best players in the NBA. And I still think Clay is one of the best players in the NBA. But since his injuries that he's had to deal with, you know, Clay is not playing at the level that we once saw him play at. Clay can still shoot the ball at a high level and still is a productive player. 
but Clay is not the player in 2023 that he was in 2016. So Steph has done a great job of carrying this Warriors team. Clay is not at his same level. Draymond is also not at his same level. Andre Iguodala is now just a veteran presence on the Warriors team, similar to Udonis Haslam with the Miami Heat. That's Andre Iguodala's role on the Golden State Warriors. He's just on the team because he's a veteran presence. He's done a lot for the organization. They love to have him around, kind of like an extra coach on the bench. So I believe what, what Steph is currently doing is more impressive now than what he did back in 2016 because this Warriors team, they're not as good as they were back in 2016. Like back then, even before Kevin Durant arrived in Golden State, remember the Warriors' depth? They had Sean Livingston. They had Leandro Barbosa. They had David West as well on their bench. Now they got an inconsistent Jordan Poole. Gary Payton is a great perimeter defender, but offensively, he, he can be inconsistent at times. Also on their bench, they got Moody. Moody's not no great player on the bench. They got Kaminga, but they don't really play him many minutes. So what Steph Curry is currently doing now is even more impressive than what he did earlier in his career. And we always talk about LeBron James and what he's able to do at an older age. We got to start talking about Steph Curry because at age 35, I believe that Steph Curry is the best player currently in the NBA. Now, I know a lot of people were saying for the last three years that it's Giannis. No, Giannis is not the best player in the NBA. It is Steph Curry. And I'm one of those people that was saying, oh, Kevin Durant's the best player in the NBA. I even had a period where I said Giannis was the best player in the NBA, but you can't be the best player in the NBA and miss 13 free throws in an elimination game. And I'm going to get to Giannis and the Bucks here in a bit, but Steph Curry has no weaknesses to his game offensively. Giannis has weaknesses. So Steph Curry and what he was able to do in this series was sensational. In the series against the Kings, Steph had 236 total points. That is the most points by a player 35 years or older in NBA history. And let me give you some more historical context because Steph Curry is doing some historical stuff. Steph Curry has won more playoff series than Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Shaq, Kobe, Magic, Larry Bird, and Kareem. Let's go down the list, shall we? KD and Shaq, they won 71% of their playoff series. Larry Bird won 72% of his playoff series. Kareem won 75% of his playoff series. Kobe won 77% of his playoff series. God rest his soul. LeBron won 78% of his playoff series. Magic won 80% of his playoff series. MJ won 81% of his playoff series. Steph Curry, his all-time record in playoff series is 23-4. and four. So he's won 85% of his playoff 
series. So from a historic perspective, considering the percentage of the wins that Curry has in the playoffs, I believe that Steph Curry has entered the top 10 greatest players of all time conversation, and he is the greatest point guard in NBA history. I know Magic Johnson was a great passer as a point guard. Great athleticism, ran the Showtime Lakers at a high level, was a big, big piece for the Lakers when they won championships. Before Kobe, Magic was the greatest Laker in NBA history. But Magic Johnson was never the scorer that Steph Curry currently is. And Steph Curry's only 6'2". The man is 6'2". Like I said, I'm one of those people that needed to see Steph do it in a, in a, in a way with because he didn't win the finals MVP back in 2015. He didn't win the finals MVP. And I thought in that series against the Cavs, Matthew Dellavedova, he didn't shut Steph down. But I thought there were times where I'm like, Steph, you need to really, like, go crazy on this dude. Like, you can have your way with Matthew Dellavedova. And there were times where Dellavedova was, was making things tough on Steph. And I'm like, I need to see a dominant finals performance. I saw it last year in the NBA finals. And then this game seven performance was a cherry on top. In the past, I used to always say that the Warriors, it, it's a system. It's Draymond. It's Clay. It's Andre Iguodala. You got Kevin Durant, who you came and plugged in for three years. I, Steve Kerr, one of the best coaches in the NBA. I always said, like, the Warriors is a, is a system. Like, but they're not a system. Steph Curry is just an all-time great. And he's not just an all-time great shooter. Steph Curry is an all-time great player. And he's the greatest point guard in NBA history. And he's a top 10 NBA player as far as I'm concerned. And I got to give this man his credit. I got to give him his credit. I, I, I had my questions about him. And I said, like, I, I need to see Steph win a finals MVP. I knew he was the greatest shooter of all time. I just needed him to dominate in NBA finals. And he did that last year. And he dominated the Sacramento Kings in game seven. This was a, a seven-game series that was competitive between the Kings and the Warriors. Kings are an up-and-coming young basketball team. Mike Brown won NBA Coach of the Year. De'Aaron Fox won the Clutch Man of the Year Award. De'Aaron Fox and Sabonis is a nice duo to build around. They got Malik Monk. They got Harrison Barnes. And in the fourth quarter yesterday against the Warriors, the Kings crowd was silent. Steph Curry completely snatched the Sacramento Kings and their fans' hearts from their chest. Snatched their hearts right from their chest. I, I'm, I'm watching the game, and mind you, this is Sacramento, one of the biggest home court advantages in the NBA. It was complete silence in the final seven minutes of that game yesterday. Complete silence. And it was an historic performance from an all-time great player. And I got to give Steph his credit. He definitely balled out in this series. Warriors are moving on to face the Lakers in the Western Conference semifinals. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys 
no sports. Coming out the break, I'm going to discuss the Lakers versus the Warriors in the NBA Finals. I'll be right back. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. Here live on the Worldwide Sports Network. Everybody want to go follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Go to the show, 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655. That is the number to dial. Any particular topic that you want to discuss, we could talk about it on the show tonight. Let's transition and go to some NFL and let's talk about the New York Jets as the Jets officially have finalized a trade for Aaron Rodgers. In the trade, the Packers, they received the Jets' 13th overall pick from this year's draft. So the Jets, prior to the trade, they had the 13th pick. Packers had the 15th pick. So the Packers basically moved up two spots in the draft. Packers received the Jets' 13th pick. Packers get a second-round pick from the Jets as well. Got a six-round pick, and they got a conditional 2024 second-round pick that becomes a first if Rodgers plays 65% of snaps for the Jets this year. The Jets receive Rodgers. They get the 15th overall pick and a fifth-round pick as well. Obviously, both of these two teams have used these picks in the draft over the weekend. So when it comes to Aaron Rodgers and whether or not he's going to have success with the New York Jets, first and foremost, over the weekend, I saw Aaron Rodgers everywhere in New York. <laughs> Friday night, he was at the Rangers game. And you turn around Sunday, matchup, Miami Heat, New York Knicks at Madison Square Garden. Look who's front and center. It's Aaron Rodgers. So Aaron Rodgers was everywhere this weekend in New York, getting acquainted with the city. It's different being in New York compared to being in Green Bay, because in Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers was the star. But in New York, there's stars everywhere. Stars everywhere. So that's an adjustment for Aaron Rodgers, not being the only star, you know, when he goes out in public. So when it comes to whether or not he's going to have success, because people stop here, everyone's talking about, remember, you know, Matthew Stafford, he went from the Lions to the Rams. He won a Super Bowl. Tom Brady went from the Patriots to the Buccaneers, and he won a Super Bowl. I want to talk about and compare Aaron Rodgers and his situation compared to Tom Brady's situation when he went to the Buccaneers. First and foremost, when Tom Brady went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that year in the NFC, the only competition that Tom Brady had to deal with was literally Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. In the NFC South at the time, when Brady went to Tampa, his only competition was Drew Brees and the Saints. And, and when you look at the landscape of the NFC at that time, the only real competition for Brady was Aaron Rodgers 
and maybe the Saints with Drew Brees. Drew Brees was in the final days of his career, but Tom Brady had a much easier path in the NFC compared to Aaron Rodgers' path now in the AFC. Let's look at the AFC East alone. In the AFC East alone, you got the Miami Dolphins. They got Tua at quarterback. They got Jalen Waddle at receiver. They got Tyreek Hill as well at receiver. They also have a young up-and-coming head coach in Mike McDaniel. And they got one of the teams in the AFC that's going to be competing for a Super Bowl this season. The Miami Dolphins last year in the playoffs without Tua, they lost in their playoff game to the Buffalo Bills by three points. They were competitive in that playoff game. So they're going to be one of the contenders in the AFC. Also, the Buffalo Bills, they still got Josh Allen. They still got Stephon Diggs, Gabriel Davis at receiver, Singletary as their running back. So the Bills are one of the best teams in the AFC East and in the AFC overall. That's just in the AFC East because the Patriots don't, I don't include the Patriots. The Patriots will, they, they will not be included in the contender conversation in the AFC. I don't believe in the Patriots. The Patriots are relevant as far as I'm concerned. So in the AFC East alone, Aaron Rodgers has to deal with the Dolphins and the Bills. That's in the AFC East. Let's go to the AFC North. In the AFC North, the Ravens just signed Lamar Jackson to a new long-term deal, getting paid $185 million in guarantees. They also signed Odell Beckham in free agency. You still got Mark Andrews, okay? You still got John Harbaugh, one of the more proven coaches in the NFL. And Lamar Jackson, when he's at his best, is an elite quarterback. And also in Cincinnati, look at the Bengals. They got Joe Burrow at receiver. You got Jamar Chase. You got T. Higgins. You got Tyler Boyd. In the backfield, if they re-sign Joe Mixon, they still got Joe Mixon. In their, on their defense, they got... Wilson, they got DJ Reader, okay, and that's in the AFC North. Let's go to the AFC West. You got the Kansas City Chiefs, the LA Chargers with Herbert. Chiefs still got Mahomes, the best quarterback in the NFL. The Raiders got Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't believe in Jimmy G, but I do believe in Devontae Adams, and that's in the AFC West. In the AFC South, you got a Jacksonville Jaguars team led by Trevor Lawrence who have a promising future. So everyone's talking about if can Aaron Rodgers get the Jets to a Super Bowl like Tom Brady got the Buccaneers to a Super Bowl, but Tom Brady had an easier path to the Super Bowl than what Aaron Rodgers has in the AFC. The AFC is loaded. They're loaded. The AFC, I mean, the, the AFC is loaded from top to bottom. Also, when I look at the Buccaneers compared to this Jets team. The New York Jets, they have a lot of young skill position players on their team. They got wide receiver Garrett Wilson. They got Brees Hall. They got Corey Davis. So you look at their ages, Garrett, Garrett Wilson is 22. Corey Davis is 28. Brees Hall is 21. Tom Brady had veterans on that Buccaneers offense. He had Rob Gronkowski. He had... Antonio Brown. He had Mike Evans. Okay. So I believe that that Buccaneers 
from an offensive standpoint, they had more veteran players who were more proven than the Jets' skill position players. I, the Buccaneers had more proven skill position players who were older, who are veterans, than the Jets' skill position players. They're young. So that's another advantage for Tom Brady that Aaron Rodgers doesn't have with the Jets. Now, I like that Jets' defense. I really, really do. I think they got one of the best defenses in the NFL. But when you ask the question, will Aaron Rodgers have the same success with the Jets as Brady had with the Bucs? I believe that it's, it's, it's a tall, it's a tough task. It's going to be a tough, tough task. Can Aaron Rodgers get the Jets to the playoffs? I believe he can. I do believe he can get the Jets to the playoffs because last year at the quarterback position, the Jets were pathetic. They were pathetic. Zach Wilson was terrible. They didn't have consistent quarterback play to be a playoff contender. They had an elite defense. I, the Jets last year had one of the best defenses in the NFL. They only gave up 329 total yards per game. That was ranked third in the NFL. They gave up 189 passing yards per game. That was ranked third in the NFL. They gave up 19 points per game. That was ranked fourth in the NFL. So from a defensive standpoint, they had one of the best defenses in the NFL. They had a really, really, really good defense last year for the Jets. And obviously, at DB, you got Sauce Gardner. I think Sauce Gardner will be the best cornerback in the NFL, if not this year, definitely next year. But up front, you got Quentin Jefferson. You got Quentin Williams. At linebacker, you got Jamian Sherwood, C.J. Mosley, okay, Quincy Williams in the secondary, Chuck Clark, who they traded for last year. So that defense is a top 10 defense, maybe even top five defense in the NFL. And Robert Sala is a defensive head coach. So it's going to be on Aaron Rodgers and the Jets offense to, to, to put up points. But when, with a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, Aaron's going to get you 14 points. If you've got a reliable kicker, that's 20 points right there. That's 20 points right there per game. And you look at his numbers last year. His numbers from a statistical standpoint weren't that good. Last year, Aaron Rodgers, his passer rating was 91-point run. That was ranked 16th in the NFL. He had zero 300-yard passing games. That was tied for last in the NFL. He averaged 217 passing yards per game. That was ranked 19th in the NFL. 12 interceptions was tied for the seventh most. This ranks amongst 35, 33 qualifying quarterbacks. So Aaron Rodgers, from a statistical standpoint, wasn't great last year with Green Bay. But we know a motivated Aaron Rodgers is the best Aaron Rodgers. And I like the skill position players that they have. They are young, but I like them. I like them. They, they, they did bring in Alan Lazard. So Alan Lazar is a reliable target for Aaron Rodgers, who we can depend on in, in the offense. But it's going to be up to the offense to, to put up points. And I think they will be better because when you go from Zach Wilson and Mike White to Aaron Rodgers, it's going to make your football team significantly better. Last thing on this. Since 2012, the Jets have the fifth most starting quarterbacks in the NFL. Only the Browns, Texans, Commanders, and Bears have had more starting quarterbacks since 2012. The Jets have had 13 
starting quarterbacks since 2012. Browns have had 18. Texans have had 15. Commanders have had 14. And Bears have also had 14. So with Aaron Rodgers at the helm, the Jets will have consistent quarterback play for at least the next two years if Aaron Rodgers chooses to play. Have been to the playoffs since 2010. Longest playoff drought in the NFL. So I expect the Jets to be a playoff contender, but I'm not so sure that they're a Super Bowl contender yet. I have to see them play and, and, and see how they play. They're, I think they're going to play Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs this year. They're also going to play the L.A. Chargers and Justin Herbert. So they got some opponents who's going to really, really test this Jets football team, and we're going to get a chance to find out how good they are in the early part of the season. Everybody, go follow Wise Guys on Twitter at Wise Guys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys at Instagram at These Guys No Sports. Coming out the break, I'm going to discuss the 2023 NFL Draft with Price Carter. I'll be right back. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. Here live on the Worldwide Sports Network. Everybody remember, go and follow Wise Guys at Wise Guys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Let me sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Call to the show, 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655. That is the number to dial. It's time to talk NFL draft. I want to welcome to the show contributor for the Arrowhead Pride and co-host of the Kingdom Keys podcast, Bryce Carter. Price, what's going on? Not much, man. It's uh, It's been a fantastic draft cycle all throughout and it culminating to Kansas City hosting the NFL draft. I went down for the first round Thursday and it was, it was so much more fun than I expected. So I, I live here just, you know, about 15 minutes north of Kansas City uh, downtown and, uh, I, I, you know, of course, was going to go since it was in our backyard, and um, it, it was just, it was so much fun. I did not anticipate having that much fun because I figured, it, you know, it's a, an event that's usually best digested by watching TV, yeah. and it, it was just so much fun interacting. You know, I had like Packers fans and 49ers fans and Steelers yeah. fans all around me, and everyone was very amicable and very willing to talk, and they were cool with me tipping the picks on Twitter a few minutes before they actually got announced on stage because there's quite a aggregate difference between the two um and it, it was just it was a blast so i had a fantastic time i thought the city showed out so well i thought that what the nfl did with what the space they were given was fantastic too it was very very scenic very fun so it, it was a great time so let's get into the 2023 nfl draft price so over the last few months we were hearing rumors out of the carolina panthers about you know, they went back and forth. I was hearing they were going to draft C.J. Stroud. I heard it was going to be Bryce Young. Ultimately, they decided to go with Bryce Young with the number one overall pick. C.J. Stroud ended up going to the Houston Texans. But what do you think factored into the Panthers' thought process to select Bryce Young over C.J. Stroud? 
Well, I thought this draft actually was a great exercise in watching what NFL teams view as far as thresholds go. Some teams have very harsh thresholds when it comes to measurables with players. Um, you know, there were some great examples of that in the first round. You had Jordan Addison, who was, you know, like 170 pounds. You had Kalijah Kansi, who is one of the smallest defensive tackles to ever be drafted. And then, of course, the ultimate um, outlier being Bryce Young. I think, you know, when the Panthers moved up, the betting markets really started to favor C.J. Stroud because he looked like a like a Frank Wright quarterback as far yeah. as how he played, how he managed the run game. And honestly, I think the Panthers, when they traded up, they, they, they eliminated all possibilities, right? Let's go get the first pick and let's come to our consensus about how we get to the player we want to draft. Is that C.J. Stroud? Is that Bryce Young? Is it Anthony Richardson? And there had been a lot of, you know, movement towards Bryce Young as time went over, uh, as time went on. You know, there was all that smoke around the S2 scores and, you know, th things got really weird there. It was it was peak draft season as far as, you know, could Will Levis go number two overall? That was getting talked about. You know, there was talk about the C.J. Stroud fall. And at the end of the day, what did we get? We got Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, who when the season started, they really were the two consensus quarterbacks. How did the Panthers arrive at Bryce Young? I think you, when you look at Bryce Young, there's two things that really stick out to you. There is, despite you know it being Alabama and we just kind of view them as a super team, that Alabama offense wasn't just chocked full of first-round draft gibs. It, um, it was Gibbs and Young, and that was about it. Um, yes, the you know Tyler Steen, the tackle was taken a few rounds later, but this wasn't your traditional Alabama offense with Henry Ruggs and um, you know Jerry Judy and just elite talent all around it. And yeah. Young really carried that team. And the other thing about Young is, is yes, the size is a concern. And the Panthers, no doubt, took a gamble. CJ Stroud might have been the safer pick. But Young has the superpower that Stroud does not. And that is being able to create when things are off schedule. Um, sometimes Young probably creates some off schedule throws because of his lack of size. You can see, like, honestly, you can see him on tape kind of standing on his tippy toes, trying to see over the guards. Um, yeah. But the way he does that is he does it so well. And considering, you know, some of the talent deficiencies that were there at Alabama on offense this year and the way that he was still creating, there were several games that it was just him, you know, it was just him creating and making things out of nothing. So um, I, you know, if I was a Panthers fan, I, I don't know necessarily how I'd feel. Young kind of felt like the 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 overall consensus, but there's Stroud who felt a little bit safer. But also, what, what was the last really successful quarterback to come out of that Ohio State system, whether it be Urban Meyer or Ryan Day? And then, you know, you have Anthony Richardson, who's kind of like a freak athlete. So yeah. it, it was a very interesting process. And again, I think we learned a lot about what NFL teams view as far as outliers when it comes to size and thresholds now price when it comes to the indianapolis Colts, i want to talk about them here for a second they selected anthony richardson with the fourth overall pick and we all know the Colts' issues at the quarterback position price they haven't been the same since andrew luck retired out of nowhere they brought in a bunch of veterans who didn't work out in philip rivers in carson wentz in Matt Ryan, and so everyone who was a Colts fan was asking the question, when are we going to draft a young quarterback and build our team around for the future you know, seasons to come? And they finally got Anthony Richardson. So we, we know Sean Stryken, the former offensive coordinator of the Philadelphia Eagles, he is now the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. So what is your expectations for Anthony Richardson 
as he plays for head coach in Shane Striking, who's going to be his first year as a head coach in Indianapolis. What are your expectations for Richardson? Well, I think, you know, it was really important for Chris Bauer to finally take a swing here. He it was he honestly kind of came out of this looking like a genius. Yes, there was he still got the third quarterback off the board, but it really sounds like they were Anthony Richardson or bust as far as the team goes anyway. So, um, you know, there's a lot of criticism for him not moving up for that Cardinals pick, even though the Texans were the ones who ended up getting it. Uh, when you look at Anthony Richardson, right, we're talking about just one of the greatest athletes to ever play the position bar none, just physical specimen. Yeah. And then the arm talent is elite. Now the, the ability to be on schedule, to do the little quarterback things to, you know, limit some of those big mistakes that can come, especially with the step up in the NFL. I mean, he's just a very young prospect as far as a player and as his development goes. I think you look at Anthony Richardson this year and you look at what early Lamar Jackson looked like. Very different runners, right? Lamar Jackson is more shifty and quick and agile, whereas Richardson's a little bit more speed and power. I think you look at like what Justin Fields was last year and what Lamar Jackson was last year and say this is kind of the goal. I think he has an instant path to production as far as just a running quarterback. I think he'll be a fantasy football darling for that, especially when you look at that offense. Um, overall, I thought the Colts were probably one of my favorite drafts. I absolutely loved what they did other than their, and I don't know, Donovan Smith is still out there. So maybe they'll bring him in, but like they didn't really address the tackle position as much. I'd like to see them, but they yeah. just, they just went down the list of my guys. Julius Brent's had a K state extremely long agile corner, Josh downs. This is a great landing sp spot for him. The wide receiver out of North Carolina, because they have so much size on the offense. They've got the tight end who, uh, uh, it's Jelani Woods, who's very, very young, um, physical freak. They've got Michael Pittman. They've got Alec Pierce, who's a wide receiver I really like. Um, yeah. Downs makes sense in the slot there. He has a clear path to production. And then they even grabbed Evan Hole out of Northwestern, who is a really nice scat back. And they got Adeboire, Adetemwe Adeboire. He's actually a Kansas City kid. He's kind of a tweener, but will probably kick in and the defensive tackle. They just they just came away with a lot there. Yes, I know they got Blake Freeland, but... Their offense in BYU is extremely RPO heavy. I think he's going to be a more of a project. I don't think he's going to be an instant plug and play tackle. But I, I think that this was a like you want to talk about one of the teams I think had a franchise altering draft. If Anthony Richardson is what they hope he is, this could be a draft that they look back and say, like, why are the Colts Super Bowl contenders now? And this could be the reason why. I agree. I, I really felt like they had to get a young quarterback price to build their team around the whole the whole free agent veteran quarterback experiment wasn't working for the Indianapolis coach price. It wasn't like Carson Wentz was a bus. Like I said earlier, Matt Ryan was a bus. Phillip rivers was well past his prime when he got to Indianapolis. So you bringing in a, a new head coach in Sean striking Jim Ursay wants to win. He wants to win price. He was even talking about, I think after, after they had already drafted Anthony Richardson, they were talking about possibly drafting Will Levis. He was he was talking about that. Like that's how desperate Jim Ursay is for a franchise quarterback. So I definitely believe that they're heading in the right direction with Anthony Richardson if he can develop under Sean Striking. Yeah, and I think, you know, you, you mentioned all those quarterbacks before. Pretty much the last mobile quarterback that they had was Andrew Luck, and he wasn't exactly by by textbook definition mobile. I mean, he could run a little bit, but not a whole lot. And it's almost like they just like, you know what? Never again. I don't want to see one more statue pocket passer. And they just yeah. went the total total opposite direction with Anthony Richardson. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, 
as a Chiefs fan now, I've been on both sides of it. I've, you know, I've sat there and tried to like put on a smile and tell myself that Trent Green and Alex Smith were going to get it done. And now that I've been on the, uh, you know, Hall of Fame quarterback ride, I don't want off. And I know that, you know, they've had that. They've had Andrew Luck. They've had Peyton Manning in Indianapolis. And they know you're basically, you either have that guy or you don't. And if yeah. you don't have that guy, pretty much every move you should be making is trying to get that guy and find that guy. Now, when it comes to the biggest winners of the draft price, everyone's talking about the Philadelphia Eagles. And I have to, I have to agree, like, like the Eagles last year, they were in the Super Bowl, and Howie Roseman is at it again, Price. He was able to add Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith to a defense that already has Brandon Graham up front, Fletcher Cox up front. At linebacker, you got Nicholas Morrow in your secondary. They still got big play Darius Slay, Reed Blankenship, and they added Jalen Smith. And I mean, I'm sorry, Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith. And it's like they got better from a defensive standpoint. And they were all like, it's, it's amazing because how does a team price who's in the Super Bowl be the biggest winner in the NFL draft? That usually does not happen because you're picking usually in the bottom half of the draft. Talk about the Philadelphia Eagles and what you thought of their draft this year. Yeah, well, you hit the hit the nail on the head there. It's like unfair that a team that just you know went wire to wire in the Super Bowl has the tenth overall pick. How do how do we get here? You get yeah. here by having a team that has rolled back picks multiple times. Like this kind of started with the Carson Wentz trade that they made, and then they've just kind of continually kept rolling back these picks. They they traded down with the Saints last year and grabbed an extra first there, um, and. They just, you know, they believed that the Saints probably weren't going to be as good of a team as they thought they were going to be. And boom, they have the, they have the 10th overall pick. Um, and th these type of moves and these type of drafts, they don't they don't just happen in a vacuum. Right. They they're small choices time and time again. They keep rolling these picks back and they have the compensation as well to go up and, and trade in the later rounds to get some of these guys. Overall, uh, I, of course, it, it's it's hard to say anything negative about the the cr the crew of players that they got. Um, I think, you know, when you look at the Eagles, there's a couple of things that are kind of long term there. Obviously, they signed Jalen Hurts to the big deal. He's every bit deserving. I, as a Chiefs fan, was skeptical going into the Super Bowl when we talked last time. And I, I was taken aback. I was surprised by how much he stepped up in that game. Um, yeah. And I, I think he deserves to be paid like an elite quarterback. But you've got a whole wave of, you know, players that are on the cusp of retirement with Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, Lane Johnson, Jason Kelsey. Um, and th those are some real like corner pieces of that roster. And yes, you, you know, last year they took Jordan Davis and he's kind of like a 13 to 20 snap player, a freak athlete, um, mainly a, a run stuffer. And yes, Jalen Carter, you know, before some of the off the field issues, he probably was either a top one or two player in this draft. I, I don't know where he ends up without the off the field issues. I think probably Seattle's the floor at five, but yeah. uh, still a fantastic player. And then, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit a little bit more skeptical of Nolan Smith than some other people. I understand, like, this was a great landing spot with him because the Hassan Reddick comp has been one of the comps for him. But there's also a guy who um, is another outlier, right? Incredibly small for the defensive end position. And you're just relying on that athleticism to translate. And that, and that doesn't always translate, you know. Um, you, you love the value at 30, though. But you also got to ask yourself, why is he there at 30? There, there's probably a reason why that player ended up falling there. Overall, I think what I liked the most about what the Eagles did was actually a little bit later. I think Tyler Steen, you know, he's 
he's put in as a tackle. I think he yeah. probably deserves the right to fail as a tackle before kicking inside. But that's your instant, you know, right guard Salamalu replacement who went and signed with the Steelers. Sidney Brown of Illinois, um, brother of Chase Brown, who the Bengals drafted. Um, this guy is chiseled. He looks like like a Greek god. Like he's just chiseled guy he plays with his hair on fire he is a downhill player one of my favorite safeties in this class and what was a weaker safety class and then they go get keely ringo um you know i was going back and looking at some of my mock drafts that i did in september keely ringo was a top 10 pick at that point now he had yeah. a pretty pretty rough tape but um you know they just and they keep these they keep backpiling these picks right you talked about darius slay and james bradbury both of them are getting older they're both on the yeah. wrong side of 30 you've got keely ringo there in the hopper um, you know, they went and Sydney Brown, like there was a clear path there. And honestly, the scary thing is here is like, they're one of the teams that makes a lot of sense for Buda Baker. If the Cardinals end up moving him, it, it, it's not fair. It's really not what they've managed to do over there. Yeah, I, I agree a, a thousand percent. Now let's switch gears. I want to talk about the Houston Texans for a second, because the Texans, obviously they they recently brought in new head coach. D'Amico Ryans, he was the former defensive coordinator in San Francisco. In their draft this year, they drafted C.J. Stroud. They drafted Will Anderson. And I believe they got an offensive corner piece and a defensive corner piece of their franchise moving forward. And then they had some other draft picks. They got a receiver for Stroud. Nathaniel Dale out of Houston got Juice Scruggs, a center from Penn State to protect Stroud. What was your thoughts on the Texans and their draft this year? Well, one of the coolest moments of being in person for the draft, and I don't, I never went back and watched like the ESPN or NFL Network broadcast, but one of the coolest moments was CJ Stroud after he got selected by the Texans. They have like these super fans that they select, which by the way, so like most of the fans you see on TV, they're all like super fans selected by the NFL. That's why they're so diverse and like, oh, Chargers and Raiders fans and Broncos fans. Yeah. Um, but he was interacting with the Texans super fan CJ Stroud. He was like taking a selfie with them. And when they make a trade, they don't come out and say the Houston Texans have traded for the third overall pick. It just kind of flashes up on the screen that they're on the clock and the crowd reacts. And CJ Stroud's out there taking selfies. And then like, everyone's like telling him to turn around and look. And he looks and he sees that they're back on the clock. He's like, we're, we're back on the clock. And, you know, at that point, you knew it was Will Anderson. There had been a lot of this noise. You know, Lance Zerline, who's a big draft guy, writes in Houston, had talked about the possibility of them maybe taking Will Anderson or Tyree Wilson and then trying to use that second pick to come back up for uh, a Will Levis if he was falling or C.J. Stroud. Ultimately, they just decided to do it in the reverse order. Now, what did I think of the draft as overall? They gave up quite a bit. I, quietly, the Cardinals were great winners for this draft just because yeah. they, they were able to start going in the direction that they needed to. They got the extra first. They got the Texans' own pick. They didn't trade the Browns' pick. They traded their own pick, their own first-round pick. So they gave up quite a bit. If you're a Texans fan, like, this draft is either it, – it's a it's a turning point, right? It's either going to be the, hey, we got our quarterback of the future and, you know, a top-tier pass rusher. But it also could be a huge, like, negative point in the if one of these or both of these players don't pan out because you essentially – took three first round picks that you had to make this happen. Yeah. Um, you know, Will Anderson, we think a lot of really good things. With Will Anderson, he was definitely probably the best pass rusher in this class, if not the best player, but he's not uh, as, you know, one thing that we lose sight of is like, this was a weaker draft class as a whole. He's not miles. He's not the prospect that miles Garrett was. He's not the prospect that Nick Bosa was. Um, now that doesn't mean that he can't be as good or better than them, but just coming out, like that's kind of what the overall consensus was on them. Um, I, the rest of their draft, I, I actually, 
a little lukewarm on. Um, Juice Scruggs felt like a little bit of a reach there. There's some other other centers that I had above him and felt a little bit rich at pick 62. I mean, pick 62, that's that's still a really premium pick. Tank yeah. Dell, uh, Nathaniel Dell, as you said, his nickname is Tank. He, again, is a, is a threshold. He is tiny. He's got freak speed, but he's like 160 pounds soaking wet. Um, he's going to be someone that's going to have to have t- uh, touches manufactured for him screens bubbles sweeps those type of things and he's not breaking tackles um and then you know they henry to'o to'o the linebacker from alabama he had a rough uh year this year previous year he was probably thought of as more high prospect my favorite pick for them is actually uh xavier hutchinson the wide receiver from iowa state he profiles more out like a true x receiver um you know they have uh John Mechie, the wide receiver who they drafted last year in the second round from Alabama, who got yeah. leukemia. He can't, he's coming back, but obviously that you want to make sure you have all the weapons in place for Stroud. So um, I, overall it was a big swing. They had the draft capital to do it. You can't, you can't be wrong. I mean, you came out with like probably the top three or four, you know, top five players in the draft and you got two of them. So yeah. uh, overall it was a big swing. He is a contributor for the Arrowhead pride and a co-host of the Kingdom Keys podcast, he is Price Carter. Price, we talked about some winners like the Texans, like the Eagles in the draft. Give me your biggest loser of the 2023 NFL draft. I feel like when you when you go through these, it's always really easy to just pick a team that didn't have a lot of picks because, well, they didn't have a lot of picks. So it's like, well, look, they didn't add as much talent as other teams did. Um, yeah. I there were, there were some teams that I thought made some really interesting choices. The Bucks come to mind. Um, you know they've got their they're they've been a team that has prioritized pass rush a lot, but obviously they have a lot of really good, great players on the interior there. Um, they're already paying their nose tackle, and then they go get Clyde Jacansi, who is you know two hundred and seventy pounds and has some of the smallest arms and hands of any defensive tackle ever. And yeah. of all the things that they needed right there, that that felt like an odd choice for them to go with, and then. Um, another team that comes to mind for me, uh, I tweeted this out this morning, The and this isn't just coming from a Chiefs fan either. I think a lot of people are going to look at the Raiders draft and be like, wow, look at this. They got Tyree Wilson, and then Michael Mayer was a lot of people's tied in number one. Look at this. They got two first-round players with their first two picks. But here's the thing. They absolutely, like, I, I, I agree with the process in taking Tyree Wilson. They paid Ch- Chandler Jones. That contract looks really bad right now. You want to get a guy on the other side of Miles Garrett. Really, That all is good. But taking Michael Mayer there is tremendous value and all the value charts and all the analytics will love that because of where he was consensus wise. But the Raiders are not a team a not a roster that can go best player available. Like that's a luxury that teams like the Eagles get or maybe, you know, like the Chiefs or the Bengals or some teams that are true contenders that can go a little bit more best player available. Going into the draft, the Raiders biggest needs were right tackle, interior offensive line, linebacker, corner. After the draft, their biggest needs are interior offensive line, right tackle, corner, <laughs> and linebacker. They didn't yeah. they didn't really address them. That go look at that offensive line outside of Colton Miller. It's it's scary. It, it's not particularly good. And I know that they're going to run the crap out of the ball. But Michael Mayer just felt like a luxury pick. Like they're going to be good on offense next year, just by default by having Hunter Renfro, by having Josh Jacobs. They went and signed, yeah, or yeah, yeah, sorry, and then they sign. Um, Jacoby Myers from New England. Like, they're yeah. going to have a good offense. We know that to be true. Why are you taking Michael Mayer when there's a lot of corners who could have made a lot of impact for them on the board? And yeah. I get, like, oh, positional value, best player available. But that's kind of a myth in the top 100. Like, you know, my Chiefs, edge, wide receiver, 
offensive tackle. Those were the three biggest needs. Those are the pitches they took them. It, day that day three best player available really starts becoming more of a real thing in my opinion. So that one just it didn't it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Last question for you, Price. What player in the draft? Like, is there a particular player that you feel like you know three, five, ten years from now we're going to look back and say that player and a two thousand twenty three. NFL draft was a player who we all slept on at the time, but he ended up being possibly one of the best players in the NFL five or 10 years down the road. Is there a player that you're looking at at any round, any selection that you feel like could be a player we could look back years from now and say that that player was someone that we slept on in this year's draft? It's tough, right? Because like, what do, what do we consider slept on, right? It, it, like going round two, is that slept on? Because like, well, Levis kind of feels like that, right? Like he played in a pro style offense. There was yeah. talks of an injury for him this year. He has the NFL caliber arm. Um, you could obviously like he could end up being the best quarterback in this class. And honestly, I think him sitting behind Tannehill for a year might be um, the best thing for him as far as development wise, get healthy and a lot of comps to him were Ryan Tannehill. They got some great infrastructure. Well, I shouldn't say great infrastructure. They have some infrastructure around for him with Derrick Henry. They grabbed Skaronsky. I like some of the things that they did. But honestly, the player, like the player that there's two players that I really fell in love with this draft cycle. Um, I've already mentioned one of them, the corner out of K-State, Julius Brintz. He feels like Tariq Will in 2.0. He's a freak athlete with long, dangly arms. He's a physical player. He does not get be at the point of attack he's great at tracking the ball he's a ball hawk as well he really plays smart with his eyes he's able to honestly fool quarterbacks with how he plays um and he's someone that his ascension like it's been really fun to watch as well um yeah. and one thing one thing that i love about brent's too is that he's played well some of his best moments are some of in in the biggest games that he's played against like the big 12 championship against tcu the bowl game that they were playing in against alabama despite them getting absolutely housed in that game he still yeah. played well and yeah. then um another player and truly some big winners of the nfl draft with the Pitt, pittsburgh steelers i absolutely loved keanu benton out of wisconsin defensive lineman um again i know it's just because i'm familiar with seeing it he wears 95 but when i watch him play i see a lot of jeffrey simmons i see a lot of chris jones um, his ability to penetrate and, you know, be sound against the run. And he just has pass rush upside. Um, yeah. Just a just a real bear plays with a real nasty streak. I loved what the Steelers did in general, but that feels like a player like, you know, with Cam Hayward, Hayward there that he's able to learn from him from a year. That feels like a player. Both those guys went in the second round high, but those feels like guys that's like, oh, man, there's going to be a lot of teams kicking themselves. I, I would have been totally OK with the Chiefs taking Keanu Benton at 31. I didn't think that they would. Because yeah. they kind of already have that disruptor with Chris Jones. They needed a, a little bit more sound run stopper on the other side of Chris Jones. But man, oh man, I, I feel like both those guys are going to be guys that we look back and just be like, how did we miss it with these guys? He's a contributor for the Arrowhead Pride and co-host of the Kingdom Keys podcast. He is Price Carter. Price, I appreciate you joining me today on Wise Guys. Let everyone know where they can find you on social media. Yeah, so uh, I write for Arrowhead Pride. I also podcast. Um for them, Arrowhead Pride is an SB Nation affiliate for for Kansas City Chiefs. Um, you can find us at arrowheadpride.com, or you can find my work at Twitter at Arrowhead Price. Price, I appreciate you joining me on the show this afternoon. We've got to do a lot of catching up as we get closer to football season. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you. That is Price Carter of the Kingdom Kiss Podcast. Again, a contributor for the Arrowhead Pride. Go and follow Price on all social media platforms all across 
the social media. Go and follow him. So check out my man Price for sure. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys. Wise Guys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at these guys. No sports. I'll be right back. You're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. Here live on the Worldwide Sports Network. Everybody remember going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at these guys no sports. Call to the show, 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655. That is the number to dial for the show tonight. But it's time for the NBA Western Conference semifinals preview. It's the Lakers. It's the Warriors. It's the seven versus the six in the West. The Lakers won the season series against the Warriors, three games to one. Steph Curry is 15 and seven in the playoffs against LeBron James. Three and one in playoff series overall against LeBron. So, so much history between Steph Curry and LeBron James. I got to be honest, I picked the Grizzlies to beat the Lakers in the first round, but I was praying and hoping for another Steph Curry versus LeBron James in the playoffs again. This is the fifth time. Steph and LeBron have matched up against one another in the NBA playoffs. The previous four was obviously in the NBA finals. This time, it's the Lakers and the Warriors. For the Lakers, they got Anthony Davis. They got D'Angelo Russell. The Warriors got Klay Thompson and Steph Curry, the greatest shooting backcourt in NBA history, and Draymond Green. Let's dive into this matchup and break down this matchup. So, let's start off with the LA Lakers. The Lakers have been the best team in the NBA since the All-Star break, and the numbers back it up. Since the All-Star break, the Lakers are 20-9. and That's ranked first in the Western Conference. Opponents are only shooting 45% against the Lakers. That's ranked first in the Western Conference. Opponents are only shooting 33% from three-point range. That's ranked first in the Western Conference. And the Lakers have 163 blocks. That is ranked second in the Western Conference. So obviously the Lakers have been a better basketball team after the All-Star break compared to what they were before the All-Star break with Russell Westbrook. I believe that Rob Palenka deserves to be in the conversation for NBA General Manager of the Year. 
because the trade that he made, bringing in Jaron Vanderbilt, bringing in D'Angelo Russell, bringing in Malik Beasley, and sending Russell Westbrook out of L.A. Because we all knew the Lakers with Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis, they were going nowhere. They were going nowhere because Russell Westbrook and LeBron James, they were not good fits on the court together. I don't blame Russell Westbrook for that disaster while he was in L.A. I blame Rob Palinka and LeBron James for bringing Russell Westbrook to L.A. to begin with. So I never had an issue with Russ. I had an issue with the Lakers trading for Russ and pairing him up with LeBron James, knowing that LeBron James and Russell Westbrook are similar players. It's just that LeBron James is and always has been better than Russell Westbrook. But since the trade, the Lakers have gotten better defensively. Malik Beasley and Jaron Vanderbilt are both players who can defend for the Lakers. And D'Angelo Russell is a player who can hit perimeter shots and occasionally he can have a great game in the playoffs. It happened in game six the other night against the Memphis Grizzlies in the closeout game. D'Angelo Russell, he dropped 31 points, shot 12 of 17 from the floor, 5 of 9 from three-point range. And for me, going into this series, one of my keys for the Lakers to have a chance in this series against the Warriors is going to be D'Angelo Russell elevating his game because I know what the Lakers are going to get from LeBron James. I don't know what I'm going to get from a consistent standpoint from Anthony Davis, and I'm going to get to him here in a bit. But in order to keep up with the Golden State Warriors, you're going to need D'Angelo Russell to play at a high level. He has to play at a high level and be consistent in the scoring department for the Lakers to have a chance at winning this series. I, he has to play at a high level. It's just there's no way around the fact that if the Lakers want to have a chance to upset the Golden State Warriors, they need D'Angelo Russell to play at a high level and give them at least 15 a night. At least 15 a night. Okay? So I, I believe D'Angelo Russell is one of the keys for the Lakers in this series. Another key for the L.A. Lakers is going to be Anthony Davis. Now, in the first round against the Memphis Grizzlies, Anthony Davis, he averaged 21 points per game, 14 rebounds per game, four blocks per game. That was against the Memphis Grizzlies. And in game six, Anthony Davis, he only had 16 points, but he had five blocks. And I counted at least four or five other plays where he alternated shots from the Memphis Grizzlies. So I believe that the Warriors, from a personnel standpoint, they don't have the necessary personnel to contain Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis should be the best Laker in this series. If the Lakers get the elite Anthony Davis, I believe that would give the Lakers a chance at being able to win this series. I believe in LeBron James. I know what I'm going to get from a LeBron James. Even at an older age, we know that LeBron James is reliable, and you can depend on LeBron James 
during the course of a playoff series. But it's always been about Anthony Davis. He's so inconsistent. He can't be inconsistent against the Warriors, bro. If if you if, if the Lakers want to have any chance at beating the Warriors, even more so than D'Angelo Russell, they need Anthony Davis to play at an elite level. Anthony Davis, I think it was like game four, I believe. It was a game against the Grizzlies where he, he, he struggled. He was pretty bad in that game. Let's go back to game four. Anthony Davis had 12 points. 12 points, shot 4 of 13 from the floor, 4 of 6 from the free throw line. He, that, the, the Lakers need more production out of Anthony Davis. 12 points is not going to cut it against the Warriors. It's not going to cut it. And again, I believe that the Warriors, they don't have an answer for Anthony Davis down in the low post. They don't have an answer for Anthony Davis. Now, here's one thing I'm going to be interested in to see in this series. Draymond Green can, can definitely get under opposing teams, players' skin. Like, even if you in Draymond cool, when you're going up against Draymond in a playoff series, you know Draymond is going to trash talk you and try to get up under your skin. He did it to Sabonis in the first round. He was even arguing with De'Aaron Fox, although he did say that he got a lot of respect for De'Aaron Fox. But you know Draymond is going to try and intimidate Anthony Davis. I'm just telling you what's going to happen. Draymond Green is going to try to intimidate Anthony Davis, and Anthony Davis needs to not allow Draymond Green to get in his head, and he needs to elevate his game and play at a high level. Anthony Davis is 6'10", and when he's at his best, he's one of the best players in the NBA. And in the first round, I thought the Lakers were able to depend on Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell and Achi Umayor as well. But in this series, they're going to need to depend on Anthony Davis down in the low post. Also, from a defensive standpoint, this is going to be a different challenge for the Lakers going up against the Golden State Warriors because against the Grizzlies, the Grizzlies down in the interior and, you know, and, and overall, as a team, the Grizzlies are built different than the Warriors are. The Warriors have perimeter shooting, and they also set screens. So you got Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, Jordan Poole. They got shooters on the Warriors. Unlike the Grizzlies, who got Dylan Brooks, who was pathetic in the first-round series. They got Brooks. They got John Morant. But John Morant and Dylan Brooks, they're not – consistent three-point snipers. Steph Curry and Klay Thompson are consistent three-point snipers. The greatest shooting backcourt in NBA history. So it's going to be a challenge for the, for the Lakers from a defensive standpoint because against the Grizzlies, John Morant was attacking the paint and trying to get into the interior. Desmond Bain is a mid-range shooter, can get into the, into the paint as well. And they didn't really have the shooters that the Warriors have. The Warriors have shooting. So it's a different defensive challenge for the Lakers going up against this Warriors team compared to going up against the Lakers. Also, for the Lakers in this, in this series, they're going to need some bench production from players on their bench. You know, they're going to need Gabriel to step up. Mubamba maybe might even get some minutes. You know, Walker, Schroeder. They're going to have to definitely, definitely step up in this matchup. Now, for the Warriors, 
the Warriors, we know how elite Steph Curry is. And I believe that Steph Curry will be the best player on the floor in this series. Like, as great as LeBron James is at his current age, I believe at age 35, Steph Curry is the best player in this Lakers-Warriors series. And Klay Thompson, he got to play better. In game seven, Klay Thompson, was, was, he was terrible in game seven. Game seven, Klay, he had 16 points, shot four of 19 from the floor, two of 10 from three-point range. Klay has to play better. But I believe that Klay Thompson is more reliable than even Anthony Davis is. Like, we know Steph and LeBron are the two best players in this series, but their second stars, I believe that Steph can rely more on Klay than LeBron can rely on Anthony Davis. And I think Clay is going to step up in a big way in this Lakers Warriors series. And he's going to hit some, some, some shots for sure and make some plays for the Golden State Warriors. So it's going to be a tremendous series between two teams who I believe, you know, have an opportunity to get to the Western Conference Finals and could possibly even get to an NBA Finals. I was not a believer in the Lakers going into the playoffs, them beating the Grizzlies. Don't make me much more of a believer. Beat the Warriors, I would be a believer, and I would admit that I was wrong about the Lakers. I think there are times where the Lakers are offensively challenged, and they have they go through scoring droughts. And I don't think they necessarily have the firepower to keep up with the Golden State or a Denver Nuggets team or a Phoenix Suns team or even a Boston Celtics team out east. The Lakers go through scoring droughts, and I believe a better matchup for the Lakers would have been against the Kings. Because I think LeBron and Anthony Davis could have overwhelmed De'Aaron Fox and Sabonis. But with all that being said, as great of a series this is going to be, I think LeBron is going to ball out in this series. I believe that I'm going Steph and six over LeBron and the Golden State Warriors advance to the Western Conference Finals. And... They'll be competing for another opportunity to go to the NBA Finals. So I got Warriors in six over the Lakers. And I'm also giving the Warriors the advantage from a head coaching perspective with Steve Kerr over Darwin Ham. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. I'm Trey Larkins signing off the Worldwide Sports Network. Enjoy your night, everybody. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.